Welcome to Breakfast First. I'm Evan Delaney. And I'm Andrea Book. On today's episode, we're joined by ad tech vet and President Martin, Louis Rothkopf, to talk about one of the most significant and pending changes to digital advertising in quite some time, the depreciation of third-party cookies. Lewis examines how digital marketing reached this turning point and tells us in the industry where we can go next when it comes to advertising on the open web. He illuminates a number of potential programmatic solutions and ultimately urges everyone not to panic. Don't panic, Evan! Everyone, calm down. It's going to be okay. And Lewis is going to tell you why. All right, we are joined now by Lewis Rothkopf, the president of the Martin Company. Uh, Lewis, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um, before we really get into, so we're going to talk a lot about programmatic, the depreciation of cookies today. Um, before we get into that, we want to talk a little bit um, just about yourself and then Martin and the collaboration that you you guys have with Empower. Yeah, uh, excited to talk about that. Um, I've been in digital media and ad tech for just about 22 years, um, going all the way back to the very late 90s when digital advertising was in its infancy. And, and it, it gave me the opportunity to see how the space evolved and all of the things that we really got right as an industry, but we also got a lot wrong. Um, and I've spent uh, at least the latter years of my career trying to improve upon um, the ways that digital marketing works um, and trying to be able to help marketers um, ring out even more performance um, from their advertising, right? At the end of the day, it really comes down to, did my advertising help me sell more shampoo off the shelves? And can you prove to me which of my advertising actually um, allowed me to do so? That's a deceptively simple um, thing to try to solve. And you know, we at Martin are, are looking to answer that question for, for our clients um, every day. You mentioned the relationship with, with Empower. We're super, super proud of having a comprehensive partnership um, with Empower. Um, you are our first client. Martin is a DSP. Um, that means demand side platform. And what we do is have a technology platform that helps marketers, uh, empowers clients and others, execute their digital campaigns across various digital channels. Digital channels like uh, display ads on the web, audio ads on things like Pandora and Spotify, um, video ads on your set-top box, um, what's called CTV or OTT, um, as well as ads on uh, mobile web and uh, mobile app. Martin is a, a new and, and really different kind of DSP. Um, we were founded under the premise that um, what was out there served the purposes of marketers for a really long time really well, but the world has changed and marketers' needs have evolved. And we focus on, on two areas of differentiation. The first is um, helping marketers make the best use of their first party data. So think about all the insights, all of the data points that you have on your customers, being able to leverage that to be able to make smarter valuation decisions on impressions, make smarter business decisions, and customize the, the underlying algorithm that determines how much you're going to pay for an ad impression at any given point in time. The other is um, helping marketers to um, understand what the real value of their marketing was. So I mentioned earlier, kind of ringing out performance by understanding which of my marketing worked and why. We believe that measurement has to be causal in order to be valid. So not just who bought the shampoo and happened to also see the ad and was going to buy the shampoo anyhow, 
but how many people saw the ad for shampoo and because of that went ahead and, and bought the shampoo? It's again, it's a tricky thing to do. Um, it's why we focus on it and it's why we're a different kind of platform. Yeah. And what I like about this conversation that we're going to have today is that Andrew and I are both on the creative team here at Empower. A lot of this conversation is going to be using the complete other side of our brain today, um, which should be fun. I actually have a, a, a minor background in, in programmatic media. That was actually the first two years I spent here at Empower was was on the Clear Trade team. Um, it's not exactly like riding a bicycle, so some of this stuff might need to be a little um, refreshed, but you're the perfect person to do that for us. So we're excited to have you. And for background, I have no background in media aside from being a creative at a media company. So I basically did like a crash course for dummies on this topic. So that's good. You know, in, in, in my wind up, you can even hear my bias and kind of the industry bias. I mentioned that I've been in ad tech for a long time. I didn't say I've been in advertising for a long time. And, you know, shame on me. Like, that's a problem. I think one of the reasons that ad tech and, and programmatic have become um, sort of a, a, a black box in many ways um, and you know murky in, in many ways is because it's really become in many ways divorced from the advertising itself. So I, you know, I majored in advertising in college. It's before all this stuff came out. I thought I was gonna write the next great you know, automobile campaign you know, and then this all happened. Um, very often we on the programmatic side and, and even on the digital side in general, forget that great creative makes great advertising. So we're gonna talk a lot today um, about cookies and identifiers and what the future looks like. And that's all really important and really necessary, but none of it matters if we don't build creative that delights consumers and drives them to make um, purchases or, or to, uh, to action the intended behaviors. Um, and so I'm gonna remind myself that that matters a lot and I'm gonna try not to forget it again because wow, how, how embarrassing to me. Um, it's one of the reasons that Empower is such a great um, partner because you get it, like you do the creative um, as well as the actual media execution. Um, and so you can never forget how important creative is. And I think you keep us on our toes that way. He's trying to butter us up, Andrea. <laughs> Absolutely. We got to do it at the start. If not now, when? Listen, I, I love it. I love it. Now, Lewis, I have a fun fact for you. I don't know if you've heard, but cookies are going away. I have not heard that. That that this is, I, I I have nothing to talk about now. Wow. From my Google. Right, well, I guess that's the episode. <laughs> I buried the lead. <laughs> yes. Yes. I wish you'd given me some preparation for this. Um, but yeah, so I think the biggest sort of news that's going around, not only in ad tech, but also just in advertising in general, especially within the halls of empower, is that um, cookies on a lot of browsers are going away in some capacity. Um, can you give us sort of a, a little primer on, A, what cookies are, how they're utilized, um, and how we've gotten to this point where they're now being stripped away from our browsers? Yeah, great question. Um, cookies are as old as the World Wide Web itself. Um, a cookie is a very small text file um, that was designed to achieve a very specific pur uh, purpose. So your favorite uh, website is the Daily Planet. And you go to the dailyplanet.com and there's all these different categories of news that you can read about, but you really only want to learn about news from Krypton. And so you click on the button that says, you know, show me news on Krypton when I come to your site. It's all I really care about. 
um, you know, please do that. And so you, you do your reading, you learn about what's going on, then you leave the site. You know, two days from now, you go back on the site and look at that, you're presented with news from Krypton. Um, that happens not because you've necessarily logged in, um, that happens because of a cookie, right? A little bit of information drops down into your browser that says, this is user one, two, three, four, five. And that's it. It doesn't say your name. It doesn't have any personally identifiable information. It just says, this is user one, two, three, four, five. And then in some database that the Daily Planet runs, it says, user one, two, three, four, five cares a lot about Krypton. So let's show him that every time he comes to our page. And that's it. That's what a cookie was designed to do. Um, it works really well. It stops working if you clear your cookies because cookies are not persistent. And so as long as you want the dailyplanet.com to keep knowing that your user one, two, three, four, five, and to organize the web page accordingly, then you are all set. That's what's called a first party cookie, okay? A third party cookie is the kind of thing that is going to be um, going away um, when Chrome makes uh, such a change. Third-party cookies are different. Third-party cookies are used predominantly for marketing purposes, which, you know, to be fair, is, is not what cookies were designed for. It, it really serves a different purpose than, you know, what the architects of the web had um, intended. A cookie, a third-party cookie, once again, is a small piece of text that is placed on the user's browser. But in this case, um, it's so that marketers and their service providers are able to recognize the user, once again, just like the Daily Planet, but also associate them with what's called a segment, right? You've been on 10 different um, vehicle pages. And so you're probably an in-market auto consumer, which means you're probably looking to buy a car in the next however many weeks. And so let's place you into the segment of likely car buyers so that the most appropriate advertising can be targeted to you. Um, in the mobile world, by the way, um, at least inside of apps, there's an analogous creation, which is um, the device ID. Uh, in iOS devices, it's called the IDFA. In Android devices, it's called the AAID. Um, it kind of fills the same role as the cookie. And you've probably heard news out of Apple as well as Google recently around limiting um, what marketers are able to do with those two um, identifiers. And so in theory, this is all great. Right, this is as good as you go to dailyplanet.com and you learn about Krypton um, because users are targeted for advertising in a completely anonymous way, right? I don't know who you are. I just know that you are user one, two, three, four, five. Um, we also, anytime there's data on cookies, we de-identify it before being able to activate it. So if we've made an association um, that user one, two, three, four, five is in market for an auto, that's it. We don't know your name. We don't know anything about you. We simply know that you were in market for an auto. And so let's show you ads from auto manufacturers. Um, I'm going to pause there because that's all the good news. Um, let's talk about the bad news next. Also, I appreciate the Superman uh, references in there all the way throughout. I think that's the first time I think we've ever had any type of hero stuff on this podcast before. And we're 45 episodes in. So overdue. I'm glad to be the hero. <laughs> I am the hero of this podcast. I'm yes, you most certainly are. Um, okay, so I, I guess the, the burning question for us is why are they being removed from um, browsers like Chrome, for example? Yeah, so um, consumers demand privacy and, and we deserve it, right? Like we're all advertising practitioners. We work for technology and, and media companies. 
but we're also consumers, you know, and so are our grandparents and our kids and our cousins and our friends and consumers deserve privacy. Um, you can't look at the cookie situation in a vacuum though, right? So all you have to do is, is watch the news, you know, open your email. And there has been a constant ever-growing string of high-profile data breaches, right? It was not all that long ago that if you did not want to be found, all you had to do was pay for an unlisted phone number. And so dating myself, when you called 411 and you said, hey, I'm trying to reach Lewis Rothkopf in New York, New York, they would say, um, you know, no, we're, we're not going to give that information. Now, even though I'm very careful uh, about information that I share um, online, you can find my address, my phone number, and, and all that stuff. And it's all due to data breaches, um, which is super, super frustrating. Um, there's another reason this is not ideal, which is the creepiness factor. Um, have you ever looked for a product online? Any product. Um, let's say you were looking for a pair of shoes. And then for like the next three months, everywhere you went on the internet, you saw the ad for those same pair of shoes. Uh, that's problematic for two reasons. It's problematic because number one, it's super creepy to feel like ads are following you around. And number two, typically the loop is not closed in marketing. So let's say you saw, you know, you went shoe shopping, saw an ad for it, you decided to go buy those shoes, um, but you still see the ads for another three months because, you know, the person or the entity that's running that advertising does not have a closed loop and understanding you bought the darn shoes. And so um, the, the loop is complete. You are no longer in market. We should stop spending money on you. Um, that's number two. And then, and then thing three is it's becoming increasingly known among consumers, which is a good thing that when the product is free, then you, the consumer are the product. And understandably that does not sit well with many folks. And so there's been kind of a steady drumbeat from all corners. Um, to make meaningful change in, in how users are tracked and targeted online. That has really good implications for consumers. And so we should embrace it. Um, it has really severe implications um, for marketers. And so we should still embrace it, um, but we should figure out how to do it the right way. And so as marketers, how do we pivot? So I think you first have to look at like where we screwed up um, as an industry. Um, Interest-based advertising, which is kind of the, you know, the, the catch-all term for all that I just described, it's a good thing, right? Like, it's good that you see ads relevant to um, things that you're interested in, right? Like, it, it's a better experience. Um, it's better for marketers, obviously, because they are spending their money, you know, more precisely and carefully. But it's, it's also good for consumers to see ads that are, are, you know, reasonably appropriate relative to their interests and wants and, and needs. And so, um, you know, going back decades now, interest-based advertising has always been premised upon consumer control and consent. So you can go to a number of industry websites. Um, you can click on the little eye icon that you see in ads. You can go to individual websites and you can say, don't track me, like just don't do it. Um, and then depending on the mechanism that you selected, either everyone who participates or at least that individual vendor will stop sending you targeted advertising, not ads, but targeted ads. Um, consumers have always been able to clear their cookies and effectively de-identify themselves. Um, but 
bad actors did bad things, right? Uh, there are companies that sought to get around the non-persistent nature of cookies um, and be able to identify users, even those who have said, stop it, I don't want to be identified. Um, the IDFA and the AAID that I mentioned earlier um, were designed specifically to not be persistent identifiers, but that's exactly how many in the space have, have used it. Um, and so, you know, all of these, um, all these facts, the interminable retargeting and the difficulty um, in some cases to, to truly opt out of targeted advertising, the creepiness factor has just become a rallying cry for, for uh, privacy advocates and consumer advocates and for legislators to say, you know, real change needs to happen. And so, yeah, real change needs to happen. And, and, and again, like that change is, is good. Um, what is going to happen? Chrome is going to make it impossible for advertisers to read and drop third-party cookies, marketing cookies um, within its browser, right? Chrome is a very, very important browser. Lots of people use it. It's owned by Google. By the way, this has long been the case with Safari, right? So if you're a Mac user or an iOS user, third-party cookies have not been a thing for, for quite a while. Um, additionally, the most recent versions of iOS um, require specific consent for apps to make use of the IDFA for targeting and tracking across different apps. Um, now, a knock-on effect of all this means that um, we're not going to be able to target in the same manner as we do today, but it also makes it more difficult to measure attribution. So, yikes, right? Because what I say at the top, uh, it's about helping marketers um, sell more shampoo but understand what of their marketing um, was successful in helping them sell their shampoo and, and why. So, um, and it raises the question of, you know, are marketers going to um, accept this world that's completely anonymized um, and, and in many ways non-targetable and, and non-attributable? Um, what does that mean? It means contextual advertising becomes more important. Um, and then there are solutions proposed by companies like Google um, to be able to target um, and attribute in a more limited but much more privacy conscious um, fashion. And then, you know, is there going to be enough um, scale in, in consumers who've opted into such things to be able to um, target and, and run attribution the way that we've become accustomed to? Um, and so, if you're a marketer listening to this and, and you're sort of like reaching for the nearest garbage can in, in which to vomit, don't. Um, there is no reason to panic. Like this is all going to be okay. This does not mean attributions going away. It doesn't mean the targeting's going away. There are solutions. Um, you know, like let's let's sort of confront the fact that we as an industry have not done the best job of protecting consumer privacy. Um, and so let's do that, right? There's always been sort of the, the good actors in the industry who've always done the right thing. And then there's this like underbelly of unsavory actors who, who have not. Um, and so, you know, this is kind of why we can't have nice things, but it, it's, it's still a good thing, right? Putting consumers' interests um, on an equal level as those of marketers and publishers and then intermediaries is unequivocally important. Um, you know, leveling the playing field between big players and small players in the space is, is, is good. Um, and so, you know, what does that mean if you're a marketer? So yeah, like campaigns leverage um, interest-based advertising to a, a large degree today, campaigns leverage attribution today, but we're not going to have to materially downgrade our expectations. Um, and we're not going to have to give up on measuring advertising's true effectiveness. Scale might change. Um, CPMs might change. 
Um, but attributions really get much more precise, right? The solutions that are being talked about, you know, most of which are still in kind of the developmental and, and you know, early beta stages, hold a lot of promise um, to be able to help marketers reach consumers that matter to their campaign and also understand which of those consumers um, took action on their advertising and, and, and why. Um, I, in a way, like, I think the moving towards a more consumer friendly and a more balanced competitive system is, is great. Just like from the, the heart inside of me, um, the, the previous programmatic marketer inside of me is like, Oh, okay. This is definitely going to be interesting. It feels a little bit like tactically we're going back in time momentarily. You talked a little bit about contextual advertising being sort of the solution that a lot of people kind of jump to immediately. Can you give a little more context on contextual advertising, um, but also talk about which one of the, the emerging or you know things that are in beta right now are the things that you're most excited about or most curious about, we'll say? Yeah, so um, great question. Um, we are going back to the future a bit, but don't go so far back that you risk like marrying your mom or whatever was about <laughs> to happen goes back to the future. Uh, you know, and, and like that means like contextual only, which is how we bought and sold advertising in 1999, 1998, um, which is say, essentially says, you know, this this consumer visited the auto section of our website. And so let's run auto auto targeted ads to them wherever they happen to be on our website. Um, technically, that's perfectly fine. And it's certainly adhering to what the changes are going to bring about, because now you're not talking about a third party cookie, now you're talking about behavior that takes place on the site. So let's say the Daily Planet has an auto section and a sports section. You know who would win every game in the sports section if it were you know, on Krypton. But like, let's say they have all these different categories of, of news to read about. Um, somebody browsed through the auto section and so let's show them an auto ad on the celebrity gossip section. That's problematic for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's no cross-site scale. Um, number two, very little way to differentiate between an in-market consumer and an enthusiast consumer. So if a, someone sees an ad or somebody sees a, an article link on the main page for the new Jaguar, for instance, and they click on that ad and the Daily Planet puts them in the auto intender category, that's problematic because either that consumer is in market for a Jaguar or they're just curious uh, and they've watched a lot of James Bond movies and they wanna see what the new Jaguar looks like, which can potentially lead to marketers um, spending money um, wastefully. And so, you know, we believe that contextual has its place for sure. However, it is absolutely not going to um, replace the role that interest-based advertising um, has, has taken for the last 20 years. Moreover, um, marketers ain't giving up on that. Right, they've become super, super addicted and understandably so on being able to precisely target and attribute um, in the digital realm. If all we do as an industry is contextual and what marketers really wanna do is behavioral, that's gonna result in marketers rushing into the loving arms of the largest tech companies in media, the walled gardens. And while the walled gardens absolutely have a role to play in most media plans, um, we're champions of the open web here. We believe that marketers absolutely miss out if they don't reach consumers at different touch points other than the ones that um, they see through the walled gardens. And, and so 
we can't do that. Um, so we've got to come up with, with a plan. And, and, and there's a few different approaches that are kind of taking shape right now. The first is called Google Privacy Sandbox. And you'll remember this forever. Um, all of the different um, elements of Google Privacy Sandbox are um, named for types of birds. Um, the, the overarching one is called Flock, which is Federated Learning of Cohorts. And there's something called Turtle Dove. And it's, it's very cute and very clever. Um, it's also really powerful, right? It's, it's super early days right now on Flock, um, but it does seem to be, at least from the information Google has shared, um, there are several pros here, right? Including, it's more difficult to de-anonymize in Flock, right? What is de-anonymize? It means, you know, that user one, two, three, four, five, like, I have a pretty strong suspicion that, that that's Evan. Like, don't do that. Like, that's not a good thing to do. Um, and so Flock makes it harder to do that. Um, Flock is going to have scale. Um, we think it's going to be opt out as opposed to opt in. And so it is a privacy centric manner to be able to target and ideally attribute based upon consumer behaviors. And it's pretty future proof. Um, you know, what are the potential downsides? You lose most attribution functionality, at least in, in what we understand of the current state of, of the Flock plans, because you need view throughs too, right? It, it doesn't only matter who clicked on the ad, it really matters who saw the ad. Um, and as a result of having seen it, took the desired um, action. Targeting is less granular, like you, you're not going all the way back to the future where it's contextual, but it's, it is definitely less precise um, than what marketers have been doing for the last 20 years. Um, frequency capping becomes more imprecise. And you can think about why, right? If you lose the cookie um, and you're not able to, to track users across sessions, across platforms, well, then you also lose the ability kind of to be able to say, don't show this user this ad more than nine times. It only works in Chrome. Um, which is worth mentioning, but it's also worth acknowledging that Chrome does make up the majority of, of US browser share and it's not ready yet, um, which you know cuts both ways. On the one hand, it means that um, you've got more time for more things to shake themselves out. On the other hand, we can't really plan yet, given that the information is not 100% um, there. Okay. Deep breath, way number two is called authenticated traffic. So let's say you go to the dailyplanet.com and dailyplanet.com says, um, hey, man, because I don't know your name, um, wouldn't it be cool if um, you're able to have a really customized experience when you come to dailyplanet.com and we're going to show you content that's relevant to you and we're going to show you advertising that's relative to you, relevant to you. Oh, and by the way, wouldn't it be great if you went to all these other websites and you got a similar experience of content that's relevant to you and advertising that's relevant to you? And the consumer hopefully says, yes, awesome, let's do it. Dailyplanet.com says, cool, what's your email address? And at that point, the consumer decides to either provide their email or not. Why does that matter? Your email address is something that you are the only one in the world who will ever have. It is a unique identifier. People don't tend to change their email addresses all that often. And so it is It is a relatively persistent identifier and it's deterministic, right? Like there's no sort of like fuzzy logic of, you know, is ABC at XYZ.com the same thing as ABD at XYZ.com? 
No, it's not. It, it's literally two different email addresses. Um, and so what do you do if you're the publisher? You take that information, um, you hash it. Hashing basically means you encrypt it so that um, it no longer looks like email addresses. It looks like a whole bunch of like nonsense garbage characters. You share those hashes with somebody who is managing that authenticated traffic platform. And now you have the ability really effectively to target and attribute with even more precision um, than the current um, state of the world using um, cookies and, and device IDs. Um, what are the challenges here? Scale is probably going to be small, um, at least to start, right? Like how many people are going to um, enter their email address into a property that they just came to do a quick glance of the latest news, you know, from, from Krypton? I don't know. Um, it's not going to be 100% though, right? People do use e multiple email addresses, right? I've got my work email, I've got my personal email. And if you watch Worldwide Developers Conference, if you've been following the news out of Apple, Apple, um, which is executing a whole lot of moves designed to improve consumer privacy, um, has, is going to be releasing this product that lets you have essentially a, a, a throwaway email address um, that is not uh, consistent among places that you give it, um, and that is not in any way identifiable down to your actual email address. Um, that makes this much, much harder to pull off because if people use that product at scale, well, all of a sudden your email address is not deterministic and it's not persistent. So again, good for consumers presents challenges for, um, for marketing. And then the last thing about authenticated traffic is there's no sense of shared households, right? So at Martin, we believe in person level advertising, marketers care about person level advertising, but you also care about reaching consumers in a household and understanding what their household makeup is. Um, what are the relative ages of people in the household? What are the relative, uh, what's the likelihood that they have children or not? All to be able to, once again, target advertising that is most likely to be effective and most likely to be relevant for, for that consumer. So um, it's probably going to work, um, but um, th there's a lot that needs to be shaken out. Yeah. Um, deep breath again, <laughs> please. Um, I So I would say a couple of these things, particularly Flock, is probably there's time that it's going to need to take before it becomes a reality. So given these changes, given the time it might take to have these things implemented, defend the inclusion of open web digital programmatic to a skeptical brand manager right now. I mean, is it, is it the view through value? Is it, is it something else? Like what, what keeps digital programmatic on the media plan? Okay. So altruistic and non-altruistic altruistic is, if you care about independent journalism, if you care about um, independent media that goes beyond the three or four world walled gardens, well, then you have to buy on the open web or independent journalism and smaller publications and independent media are going to go away, right? They have been uh, stressed and strained for more than a decade now. And if you simply stop buying there as a marketer, um, well, you can't go to the Daily Planet much longer because the Daily Planet isn't going to have money much longer. Um, that's sort of the altruistic answer. The, the non-altruistic answer is you miss out on different mindsets that consumers have depending upon what they're doing at that point in time. So if you've got a consumer who's in the social mindset, they may be less likely to engage with an ad or even see an ad than when they go to check the weather, right? Weather is awesome for marketers because what do you do when you check the weather? You check the weather. Like, I guess you could stay there and watch, you know, 
things about people who chase storms and like, you know, the dog who can predict thunderstorms and whatever. But like, you're probably going there to check the weather and then you're done. And so you kind of look around and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I can get a new computer for $100 off. And so if all you're doing is running on the walled gardens, you're missing out on all these different avenues of consumer engagement that you only get by having a diverse media list. So you went over the pros and cons of the Google privacy sandbox and email authentication. Do you think that there's a future possibly in like phone number authentication to navigate like the multiple email problem, the only using a Chrome browser? Do you think that's a possibility in the future? No. Um, for a couple of reasons. I think today consumers are far more guarded about giving out their phone number um, than they are an email address. And, and again, that's a few reasons, like your phone number, you know, seems really private and personal to you. Um, you know, again, similar to the spam problem and, and the bad actor problem in, in the digital realm, how often do you get calls, you know, trying to sell you a car warranty that's that's really a, a scam. And so more than ever, people are super guarded about their phone numbers. I also think that you know, within the next five to 10 years, the phone number is gonna become irrelevant. Like, I have no idea what my daughter's phone number is, uh, right? Like I, I click on her name, right? And she clicks on my name and like, I don't know my coworkers' phone numbers. I click on their name and I'm either connected to their phone or I'm connected you know, more frequently by like FaceTime audio. And so I don't see phone number as a particularly persistent identifier. Um, it does exist, right? There are you know, many retailers, for instance, who have loyalty card programs and they use the phone number, typically phone number and address as the key um, to be able to target and, and understand the user's behavior. And, and so that's definitely a thing. I strongly believe it becomes less of a thing as time goes on. Yeah, that makes sense, especially since like a lot of stuff that you use on your phone is still tied to an email address, whether it's you're searching through the web or you're on an app or something like that. Something that Martin and ClearTrade are, are capable of doing is having these custom algorithms for brands and for advertisers. How does all of this news impact your guys' ability to do that? Great. So our custom algos um, really are, are uh, agnostic as to the kind of targeting that you're doing. Um, certain things become way more important, right? Marketers' first-party data becomes way more important, right? Being able to leverage things that you know. For instance, um, let's say that you are a... Now, let's, let's say that you're a, a, a dog daycare company um, and you've got a chain of doggy daycare stores kind of all over the country and you want to do some advertising to get people to come to your stores and drop off their dog. Um, and so you don't want to waste money on consumers seeing your ads where capacity is booked, right? We are sold out. There are all these pandemic puppies and we just cannot get your dog in there for another six months. And so how about we design the algorithm to dip into the doggy daycare's appointment booking system in real time. And if it turns out that the consumer has no doggy daycare centers um, near them with appointment availability in the next, I don't know, week, whatever, then let's not show them the ad or let's bid really, really little for that impression because I guess it's good to have them you know, understand that we exist, but we don't wanna waste a lot of money versus if we know that like we have this one center that is just massively undersold and we're trying to drive traffic to it, um, 
let's do that. Let's pay more for those impressions. And because availability can change over time pretty quickly, let's not just make assumptions. Let's actually dip into our appointment booking system in real time to, to understand. Um, weather triggers are kind of a classic example, right? So it, it's, it's, you know, at its simplest, it's let's show the ad for the rain boots when it's raining but you can get way more advanced than that. And, and we can build way more sophistication into the algorithm based upon what we understand of distinct consumer behaviors based upon the weather, the weather today, the weather tomorrow, the weather um, a week from now. The other thing that begins um, to matter a heck of a lot more is the two of you, right? The role of creative becomes so much more important when you, yeah, exactly, when you now um, absolutely need to make that first impression, no pun intended, really, really count. Um, it is not okay, it's never okay to be lazy with creative, but like, you know, you could just blanket the internet with your ad and odds are someone's gonna see it. You can't really count on that moving forward, right? The, the old sort of calculations around reach and frequency across the web and this notion of cheap reach and long tail sites, that's been falling out of favor for a while, but it's really going to fall out of favor soon. And so you've got to be able to produce um, compelling, engaging creative that drives consumers to take the intended actions. Um, again, these are all really good things. Yeah, I think that's sort of the most fun thing for us because like, I, and maybe I'm speaking for my own personal like biases here, but like it making display ads isn't always the most fun thing to do as a part of our job. But the fact that now we kind of have the license to like it is on us to grab that attention a little bit more than, you know, some of the media prowess that we have behind it where like we know this is super hyper targeted and we just have to say one certain little word that is related to that audience. Now the game is completely flipped, which I think is exciting for us. And, you know, it's we have to think of new ways to, like, capture this attention. And I hope we were able to go wild with it. Yeah, I definitely went to art school to work within a 300 by 250 canvas. <laughs> it definitely positions in power well, right? H having both sides of the art and science um, under the same roof means that you get to work really closely with those who are buying the media and executing the campaigns. The two really go hand in hand um, and being able to build creative that delights consumers and then being able to execute it across a really smart and strategic media plan. Um, man, like that, that's what this is about. Like that's what I went to school for, not you know feeling like we're trading you know, pork belly futures programmatically, but actually running good advertising and, and helping consumers understand the products and services that are available to them. So as of now, there aren't like firm answers on anything, but if you had sort of one philosophy to abide by amidst all this change, what would it be? And I'm actually gonna leave the room real quick to go grab my charger, but my volume's all the way up so I can hear you. Don't worry, go, so go ahead. Since you're walking away, I'm gonna cheat and I'm gonna give um, two answers. Um, the first is, and I've said this before, this is okay. Not only is this okay, it's actually a good thing. It is a thing for you to embrace as a marketer. It is absolutely not a thing for you to fear. Great marketing is going to win out just as it should. Thing two um, is don't commit, right? Like there are so many unknowns right now and how this is going to play out. We have a decent sense of, of who the likely winner is and what the prevailing solutions are going to be. But like, we're just guessing too. Um, there are so many companies, you know, new and old, who uh, purport to have the solution to post cookie 
uh, and post cross device or sorry, cross app tracking. Um, and we're talking to all of them and they're all interesting, some more so than others, but anybody who comes to you as a marketer or an agency and says, great news, we have the answer. All you have to do is do an exclusive with me. Like, it's just not true. At least not that we've seen. Like there, there is so much yet to be disclosed by Chrome, right, and by Apple and and by Google and Android um, about how they're going to roll this stuff out um, now and in the future. That hitching your wagon to any one particular vendor is just such a bad idea. Number one, it's not necessary. Number two, it makes you politically charged um, in the industry. And number three, what if you're wrong? Like, what if you implement a agency-wide or a marketer-wide solution and that solution fails? Like, I say this as the guy who still has a HD DVD player uh, in my closet collecting dust and who really wanted Betamax to win. Like, there's, there's just, there's no good that can come from aligning with one solution right now. Play the field. It's what we're doing. Um, and, and, like, it will shake itself out educate yourself, talk to everyone, but, you know, for the love of God, like, don't, don't lock yourself into anything right now. I heard all of those and the two answers, you cheated a little bit. So I was able to hear that. You said it was okay. No, I did. I did. Um, so just in general, what, what else is on your mind in terms of future of digital advertising? Is there anything else in the horizon that we should be thinking about? Yeah. So, um, it's such an exciting time in the space, you know, post cookie. Um, it, it's a catharsis that I think we as an industry need. It's going to shake out the good actors from the bad actors. It's going to shake out those who are really able to drive good marketing um, and uh, separate them from those who aren't and have been sort of running on fumes for the past however many number of, of years. Um, marketing is getting more interesting, right? Um, podcasts are, are absolutely the next frontier of advertising. Right now, it's really challenging to execute programmatic in podcasts, um, largely because most podcast advertising is host read. Um, and so how do you buy programmatic into the host's brain? Um, you can't, but there's other cool things that you can do that, that we're looking at, and, and that becomes really exciting. The return to hopefully normalcy um, in, you know, God willing, the waning days of COVID is going to turn everything into a jump ball, right? So what we saw in 2020, really the earlier part of 2020, is that as retail advertising took a step back, CPG and e-commerce advertising took a step forward, um, picked up much of the, the slack that was created by retail in, in the media spectrum. Does that continue? I don't know. Um, it, it's a really good time to do things like shopper marketing um, and be able to understand what is the closed loop between a shopper who sees a particular ad for a product that exists in a particular retailer and the action that they took, you know, by account of having seen that ad. So being able to understand the new ways in which consumers consume um, media, so important. Um, and look, consumers have changed. Um, Cross device has been a thing that we've talked about for you know, close to eight or nine years now, um, and it really matters. The, the, the purchase funnel almost never takes place on a single device anymore, um, particularly not in more involved and high consideration purchases. So you, know, you wanna go on a vacation, it's post pandemic and, and you're willing to subject yourself to 
you know, the madness that exists at airports right now, you know, better you than me, but you sit on your couch and you're like, oh man, like I want to go to Hawaii. Um, and you do some browsing and you click on, you know, TripAdvisor app and you learn all about it. But then maybe you go to your computer um, and you do some more research, or maybe you're sitting back and you're watching TV and, oh my God, so crazy. I just saw an ad for fly to Hawaii on my television. Like, how did they do that? Um, these touch points all matter. Um, and being able to effectively address consumers throughout the purchase, the consideration and purchase funnel across those multiple touch points, it's going to be critical for advertisers to get right, particularly in, in the post-cookie and post-device ID landscape. But boy, those who get it right absolutely um, stand to benefit. Now, you really talked up creative at the top of the episode, and we appreciate that. So we're going to return the favor. What difference does Martin and Empower Play and offer rather than other programmatic solutions that people could go with? We weren't the first, we're not the largest, but we took a moment at the beginning and really every day to catch our breath, take a look at what has worked and what has not worked and be really singularly focused on that which works. Um, what does that mean? It means really evangelizing the benefit of optimizing to KPIs that are really indicative of campaign success, as opposed to kind of legacy metrics like CTR um, and ECPM that just don't paint a picture um, for a marketer of, of how successful their campaign was. Um, we take the time to sit with clients and understand, like, what are you all about? Like, show me your creative, uh, if, if I didn't create it for you already. You know, tell me what your goals are. Tell me what sort of data you have that you might be able to leverage in, in your marketing. Um, tell me what your quarterly goals are, right? Like, are they aligned with your marketing KPI? And if not, like, let's talk about how they, they could be and probably should be. And then let's forget all the stuff that's been done before. Um, you know, a quick plug from Martin is that we built this thing from scratch. The, the Martin Bitter is, is completely new code. It's a completely new DSP platform that was built without any of the baggage um, entailed in, you know, working with a code base that's, that's 10 or more years old. And we did that on purpose because we didn't want to have to be beholden to the way things were always done. And, and so you look at the media prowess and expertise of a clear trade, you look at the creative capabilities of, you know, empower writ large, and then you look at the, the tech that we are singularly focused on making the best way to execute media and drive results. Um, and it's working, like marketers are, are responding to it, it's resonating. Um, now, do we still have clients who want to optimize to older metrics? Absolutely. Are, are we going to do it for them? Yeah. Uh, but then we're going to say, P.S., um, if we could get you to maybe consider optimizing to incremental lift instead of CTR, I'm willing to bet you will see more shampoo has been sold. And again, it's resonating. P people are wanting to hear that. And people are wanting um, a solution that's built for the needs of, of you know, marketers in the 2020s um, and that isn't built on a legacy code base. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. You are our hero. Um, we really appreciate the time and all the great work that you guys are doing. Yeah, likewise. We appreciate the partnership um, as always and, and appreciate the opportunity to sound like a, uh, an idiot uh, for an hour on a podcast. So thanks for, <laughs> for having me.
So two things stood out to me um, from what Lewis has prognosticated for, you know, what's life after the cookies. Um, I think one thing that's important is that you're still going to get a good chunk of your audience or of a audience out there on the open web. And it's someone that you might miss otherwise if you're only advertising on the wall gardens of your Amazons, Facebooks, Googles, etc. The other thing which excites me is that we can make digital banners like really interesting and artistic and pizzazz that you don't usually get to see on on digital banners. Yeah, if there's anything I know about you, is it's your love for digital banners. But I totally agree. I mean, it just makes us better marketers. We just have to think a little bit smarter and be a little bit more agile, and the results will show. The results will definitely show. Um, and we're very fortunate to have you know the Martin team and Clear Trade. Uh, working together here at Empower, and they can do wonders. As someone who used to work on that side of the business, I can tell you, oh, they're good. They're real good. You know what else would be good, Evan? I would say, if I had to guess, <clears throat> subscribing and rating to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. Another good thing to do would be reaching out to us. So you can email us at breakfastfirst at empowermm.com, and you can reach us on our various social media accounts at Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Empower, and on Instagram at Empower Agency. So thanks again to Lewis for joining us, and remember, stay calm. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. Lewis has you. Cookies. And we're out. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.